Hey guys, um, this is Ryan, and I just want to give you a heads up. We had some technical difficulties in the middle of the message, and at about 17 minutes in, our audio cut out, but we recorded a message um, over it and filled in that gap, and it's only for about a minute and a half, and then it will get back to normal. So just want to give you a heads up on that, and just thank you guys for listening, and we hope that this is fruitful for your hearts. Thanks, guys. Um, so, so for me, uh, growing up, I've never really been the one that likes board games. I know that some people are kind of obsessed with them and love them, but I never did. But I will say something turned a corner after college. Maybe it's I got old. I don't know what it is. But I enjoy playing them from time to time now. And in a lot of board games, the way they keep time for turns a lot of times is, is by a miniature hourglass. One that kind of looks like this, but it's a lot smaller and it dictates the amount of time on your turn. And, and for me, these little hourglasses, this little timer is a thing of so much stress, so much anxiety, and so much frustration. And here's why. One, I am what you would call an internal processor. I like to think things through. And so when you flip that timer over, I begin to just process. And I'm so indecisive because of this processing. Like, there's been a time, I remember, y'all are gonna think I'm ridiculous, but I saw a Nerf gun that I liked at Walmart. It was only like 20 bucks. And I was like, hey, 20 bucks, Nerf gun, this thing looks cool. I'm a child, so I'm gonna try to get this. And so I, I pulled it off the uh, shelf, put it in my buggy, and I was like, ah, 20 bucks though. And so then I picked it back up and put it back down and then picked it back up and then ended up putting it on the shelf and walking out and did this for a few months actually. I kept coming back before I finally bought it because I'm just that indecisive of a person. So I'm indecisive and I'm also very competitive. I don't like to lose. And so when you put these two together, what happens when you flip that timer, I begin just processing. And I look and I see that there's like a lot of sand up top and not as much at the bottom. So I'm like, okay, I got some time. And so I go, okay, strategy one, this could work, do this. And I'm like, well, but this might happen. And then I go two and then three. And I keep going through all these different things, picking apart all, all the things. And then I start realizing that there's a lot more sand on the bottom than at the top. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. And stress sets in. And then I go back to strategy one because I'm like, you should go with your instincts. But then I convince myself not to go with that again. And either I'm cycling through all these things or when it's flipped over, my mind just goes blank. And I couldn't even tell you my name if you asked me my name because I'm just so stressed by the timer that's on me. And what inevitably happens at the end of the time when the sand's falling through uh, the last little bit, I throw some sort of turnout or whatever I do, some sort of strategy that's haphazard and I end up regretting it later. These things are so much stress, so much anxiety, so much frustration for me. Now, why do I tell you this? Because I believe that the nature of time is like that for us just in general. That time leads us to be stressed, leads us to be anxious, and it leads us to be frustrated. We say things like, oh, where did the time go? Or, or there are not enough hours in a day, or I've got to make the most of my time. I don't want to waste my time. When will my time come? We have all these sayings that are revolving around time. In, in bad times, we wish that they would just move faster. In the good times, we wish they would just slow down. We're never content with time. 
It's like our lives when we are born have this giant hourglass that's got the moments of our life in it and it's flipped over when we take our first breath and it starts counting down and time just keeps ticking away and we start fighting this battle against time. And tonight we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where the teacher is going to comment on time and the nature of time. And so you've got your outlines with you, or you can turn to it in your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the verses that Pastor Eric read for you a little bit earlier. Um, Just in case you've missed our kickoff, if you missed it a few weeks ago or missed our home teams, give you a, a couple of things of background information just to catch you up to where we are. The author of Ecclesiastes is the teacher or the preacher. And we don't actually know who it is. He he remains anonymous. But traditionally speaking, uh, we we find the authorship as Solomon, King Solomon. Um, There's several reasons for this. The description in Ecclesiastes seems to match King Solomon. And so people would say Solomon or maybe one of David's other sons that's kind of like Solomon. Or then some would say a a Solomon-like persona. But regardless, the the point is, is it Solomon or someone like Solomon who is speaking here in Ecclesiastes? And it's important because Solomon was immeasurably wise, immeasurably wealthy, and immeasurably powerful. And this is, these are his words, his words of wisdom. After looking at life and observing life, this is him spelling out. This is his lab report of experimenting on what the purpose of life is. This is his wisdom that he comes to. And he doesn't hide his conclusion. He's going to say it all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And right there in the second verse, um, second and third verse, he tells us his conclusion. He says, vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? So he says, when I look at, at life under the sun, life from man's perspective, as if this was all there was, it's vanity. Or some of your versions might say meaningless. And that word, the Hebrew word, is hevel. And hevel means smoke or vapor. And to say that it's hevel of hevels is to say is the most hevel that it could possibly be. And we talked about how this word hevel, it carries this layered meaning that it, it kind of carries a meaning all throughout of, of things that are temporary. Like when you see smoke, it's here for one moment, but then it's gone the next. So things are fleeting and temporary. Um, but it's also empty that it gives, gives the shape of something like it's got a form like I could reach out and grab it. But when you reach and grab it, it's not there. It's empty. So the things of this life, this, this world, the meaning, it's, it's empty. And then finally, it's confusing that if you find yourself in a thick fog or, or thick smoke, it's disorienting. You can kind of see shapes and make some things out, but it's, it's kind of confusing. It's an enigma. And so he says, life and the pursuits of man in this life, it is all hevel. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It's, it's empty. It's, it's confusing at times. It doesn't seem to work as it should work. And this is what life is under the sun. And so we said that as you read Ecclesiastes, it's easy to read through and say, man, this is pretty depressing. (laughs) It's easy to find yourself in a place of of despair, in a a place of hopelessness. Um, But what we said is that Ecclesiastes, the goal is, yes, to break you, but not to leave you broken. That it brings you to a place of despair, but it's meant to ultimately point you to the greatest hope that you could possibly have. And so it's really ultimately meant to bring you to a place not of depression, but to a place of joy and a place of hope. 
And so the same as last time, what I, what I told you is this message is going to kind of carry a melancholy tone throughout a lot of it. But I assure you, if you can hang with me, we will get to the hope of Ecclesiastes. So just unpacking what uh, Pastor Eric read a little bit earlier, um, these first few verses is a poem from, uh, from the writer, from the teacher. And he says that, that there's a time and there's a season for everything under the sun. And the, the rhythm of this poem is there's a time for this and then there's a time for that. There's a time for this and then there's a time for that. It's, it's this poem that's going through and he's, he's observing life under the sun. Now it's a list of observations, but it's not a list of commands. It is descriptive, not prescriptive. And so what that, that means is he's just observing things, but he's not telling you to necessarily go and do these things. Um, so what you can't do is leave here and go have an interaction with someone who annoys you and say, hmm, Ecclesiastes 3, a time to kill. All right, well, you know, not the point, right? He's just, he's observing life. Um, he's commenting on it. He, he's saying that there are some good things and there's these bad things, but he's not necessarily telling you if they're, like, if they're good or they're bad and, and all these different things. He, he's just observing how life is. He's not commanding you to do these things. These are just things that kind of happen under the sun. And so he observes life. He observes all that there is, and he says it's pretty seasonal, that it, it ebbs and flows, that, that good things come and good things go and bad things come and bad things go. That there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a, a time to laugh and there's a time to weep. There's a time to dance and there's a time to mourn. There's a time to plant. There's a time to pick up what you've been planted. So it's very seasonal in nature. And, and if you notice that there are 14 pluses, 14 positive things in there, but then there's 14 minuses in there. And so what he's saying is that the sum of the list is zero. That that life is net zero. He's not saying it's positive or it's negative. It's just everything that happens gets kind of taken away. And so he says, there's nothing to gain here. And he's like, so it's so seasonal, nothing lasts. And, and we really get this. Like if we were to really think about life and the nature of life, we understand that it's pretty seasonal, that things tend to change over time, that they don't tend to stay the same. Things are not the same as when you were a kid and they won't be the same another five or 10 years from now things tend to change, life tends to be seasonal. And, and for some of you, you're like, I'm okay with some of that. Like, I'm okay with certain change. Like, most of you are cool with not being in school for the rest of your life. Some of you want to be, and you will do that, and you'll get all kinds of degrees and doctorates, all these things, and good for you. But for the majority of us, we're thankful that this season of school will come to an end, and that's a good thing. Um, most of you are cool with, with coming out from under the wing of your parents and kind of having your own authority and own, calling your own shots. You're, you're good with that kind of change. Um, so sometimes change is welcomed, but then other times it's not. Sometimes you, you lose things that you don't really want to lose all that much. And, and here's the general principle that I really think we could probably all agree with. The good times never seem to last, and the bad times always seem to be right around the corner. The good times never seem to last, and the bad times always seem to be right around the corner. The, the good moments, we really wish they would stay longer than what they do. And the bad moments, we wish they would leave more quickly than they do. And what the teacher's communicating here is life is seasonal. There are good times, but yes, there are bad times. And the good times don't seem to last, but the bad times always seem to be just right there. And like we said earlier, the poem, it's some zero. It's, it's net zero. And so think about just the nature of life. Think about even just the little things. 
Like think about when you were a kid and you're out there playing with your friends and you're having a good time and you hear your mom say, hey, it's time to go. We, we need to leave. What do you say? Five more minutes, mom. Just five more minutes, please. Let, let us keep playing. And you argue with your mom and you, you talk, please, and you debate and you try to bargain with them. Um, and then eventually you lose the bargaining and you have to leave. And you're like, why did we have to go? Why did these good times have to end? It, it didn't last long enough. Or you think about when you start a class in, in the semester and it takes you like a month to kind of get a feel for the teacher and the class and if it's going to be hard, if it's going to be easy. And after a month, you're like, yeah, I really like this teacher. I like this class. This is good. Then what happens? It feels like it goes by fast. It doesn't, it doesn't stay and the class is over. Or the worst part, I, I would say, is you get in there and you hate the class and you hate the teacher and then what happens? It lasts forever. You feel like it's the never-ending class and it's miserable. And then you somehow have that teacher next semester and you don't know how that works. But it, it changes. Things changes. Or, or think about when you're, when you're there hanging out with your friends until like 2 in the morning. You're having a good time. Why do you hang out till 2 in the morning? You know you're going to be tired the next day. You know that it's not a wise move. But you hang out because you don't want it to end. So you continue to hang out with, with each other. You keep, continue to have fun. But here's the thing. It always ends. At some point, everyone's going to have to go home and go to sleep. Or everyone just crashes and they fall asleep. And it ends anyways. It always ends. It never lasts as long as you want it to last. So we see it in little things. But what we also see it in the big things as well. We see it in friendships where maybe when you were a kid, you had a friend that you were really close with and his family had to move away and, and you lost someone that you were close with and your friendship was never really the same after that. Or you see it in specific seasons, like the college season that you're in, where you just love the season. It's so much fun. There's a lot of cool things. It's so special, unlike any other. But then you realize that it will change and that in five years, ten years, it will not look the same as it is. And time changes. You see it maybe with your health, and I know I see it with my health. I feel like I'm getting old. Things start falling apart and just breaking, and you're like, man, I'm not as young as I used to be. But you, you see it with your health. You can see it with major diagnosis with your health. Maybe you get something that's, that's not good news. Um, you see it with, with losing people, that maybe you lose people you love, or you see someone who, who dies way too young, and they're there with you one moment, but then they're gone the next moment. It doesn't stay the same. See, in this life, you're going to laugh and you're going to cry. You're going to dance and then you're going to mourn. You're going to build things up and then you're going to see your dreams crumble. You're going to have life and healing, but then you're going to see death and you're going to see pain. You're going to enjoy some moments, but then you're going to dread others. It's so seasonal. And it's honestly, it's short. Life is short. Ultimately, the, the seasonal life that we experience here on earth is capped with death. Just like the teacher says later on in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, he says, all are from dust, and to dust all return. And so it's like we have that giant hourglass that's just ticking down every moment of our life. The sand is just falling, falling, and falling, and, and the clock is just ticking. And, and you know, when you're a kid and you see see all the sand in this hourglass, time seems to move so, so slow. It's like days feel like weeks and weeks feel like months. It just drags on. You just can't wait till you're a little bit older. When, when the month of December comes, Christmas feels like it's 10 years away every single time. When someone asks you your age when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I'm eight and a half. 
because you're like trying to get to that next edge. You like, it's not coming fast enough. But then as you get older, time goes faster and faster and faster. The, the sand starts piling up on the bottom of your hourglass and, and years feel like months and months feel like weeks and you don't stop processing last Christmas before next Christmas is there on you. And I, I was thinking just the other day, someone asked Sarah her, her age and she confidently said 24. And she's 26. She, she said it with such confidence. She's like, where did those two years go? Um, but the time, it moves fast. And the older you get, what I've been told is it moves faster and faster and faster. And, and when we see the seasonality of life, we see that, that, that good things never seem to stay. And, and when we see that bad things always seem to be around the corner, and when we see the nature of death, we, we find ourselves stressed and anxious and frustrated with time. We stress over not having enough time to get a job done. We face anxiety when there's some decision that's got some time limit and some deadline. We, we face frustration and sadness when we lose someone or someone's life is taken. We, we want more of the good things and the good times and we wish the bad things would never come. And when they do, we wish they, they would just leave. We wish that test wasn't tomorrow. We, we wish we didn't have to go home to all the family drama. We have all these things. Life is so seasonal. And, and here's the problem for us. We exist in the finite, but we long for the infinite. We exist in the temporal, but we long for the eternal. Because what he tells us, what the teacher told us, is that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. That we can't comprehend his ways, but he's placed eternity within our hearts. You see, in the beginning, when God created mankind, it was good. Mankind had an intimate relationship with their creator, God. Man dwelled in the presence of God and ate from the tree of life. Man had eternity, but mankind wanted self-rule. Mankind wanted to be the arbiters of good and evil. They wanted to decide what morality was. And so mankind rebelled against God and broke his commands. Sin entered the world and mankind hid from God in shame. But then God in his grace cast mankind from the garden. He drove them away from Eden. And without access to the tree of life, mankind is now confined to the bounds of time. We live in the temporal, but we long for the eternal. You see, growing up, my sister had a, a cat named Chloe. And over time, we noticed that Chloe was looking bigger and bigger, and it wasn't because of her fur. At one point, this cat weighed over 23 pounds. What we eventually realized is we had these cat treats called temptations. And they're like that big. And what we would do is we, two to three times a day, we'd pour out a handful for her, and she'd eat them, and then we'd feed her her regular food too. And after she had gained, I think she was like 23 pounds. So after she was 23 pounds, yeah, we should have looked earlier. But after she was 23 pounds, we looked on the back of one of those things and found out that the serving size was two to three pieces, not two to three handfuls. And so she was getting these handfuls and the food, and so she gained a lot of weight. But she was still pretty nimble. She was quick. And so we lived in the woods, but we honestly didn't have that many squirrels and chipmunks around our house. 
Um, and there was a few that would be pretty brave, and I think they would kind of taunt her because they underestimated her ability, and she would attack. And she was quick, and she got them. She hunted down these squirrels, these chipmunks, climbed trees. Like, it was pretty impressive. Sometimes would bring them to us as a, as a gift, and wasn't the best gift. But she hunted after them. That was, that was what she did. And, and here's the thing. Even though she was a domesticated cat who had more than enough food, she, she didn't hunger ever, her instincts, her nature led her to hunt, led her to pursue and chase after these poor squirrels and chipmunks. See, here's the thing for us. We are confined by time, but we long for the timeless. We, we have a sense, a nature, an instinct for eternity because it's, it's impressed into our hearts. And so, so time leaves us stressed and anxious and frustrated. The good times just don't seem to last and the bad times seem to be right around the corner. And if this is all it is, if, if this is all our life is, just experiencing these, the seasonality of life and then being capped off by death, then, then we are to be pitied. We are hopeless and it is, is so sad and depressing. But Ecclesiastes shows us hope. Um, Ecclesiastes, in showing us the nature of seasons, ends up showing us the nature of God. And he, he says there in those verses that we read, God seeks what has been driven away. God seeks what has been driven away. And if you think about it, that's the nature of seasons, right? That in the summer, the, the warm of the summer sun is driven away by the cold of winter and the darkness of winter. But it will come back again. The, the daylight, the sun, is driven away by the night, but it will return again. It comes back. And though we were driven away from Eden, though we were cast away, we have hope because God pursues what has been driven away. In fact, God driving us away from Eden was a great act of grace, an act of, of mercy, in Genesis 3:22, he says he drove them away to keep them from eating from the tree of life because he did not want them to eat from the tree of life and remain in their fallen state for all eternity. So he drove them away and blocked it off from them and confined them to time. And he drove them away with a hope, the hope of a descendant of the woman who would come and would crush the head of the enemy, crush the head of the serpent. And because the teacher, just as he says in verse 11, that that God has made everything beautiful in its time, at the right and appointed time, he demonstrated his ultimate pursuit in Jesus being born in Bethlehem. In Jesus, truly God and truly man, he lived his life in complete and total submission and obedience to God, perfectly following his commands, perfectly righteous in every way. And he, he performed miracles of all kinds and he taught people wherever he was. And there was even a time where he was teaching a group of people and he tells three stories, three parables. One where there's the, the son that, that leaves and goes away and he's lost, but then he returns home and the father welcomes him in and throws him a party. One where this woman has lost this coin and she frantically searches through the house and turns it upside down and finds it and rejoices and celebrates. Another where a shepherd has a sheep that wanders off from his flock and the shepherd frankly pursues after the sheep and brings it and rescues it and brings it back to the flock and throws a celebration. And in doing so, Jesus is demonstrating and, and teaching about the very character and nature of God that God pursues what has been driven away. 
And the way he was doing that was through Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus would be arrested and put through a mockery of a trial, and he was uh, accused of these trumped-up charges, and he was found guilty and sentenced to be executed on a Roman cross. He was then beaten, and he was scourged, and he was nailed down to this cross to die. And on the cross, it tells us in 1 Peter 2.24 that he bore our sins. And there on the cross, Jesus died, and it seemed as though death was victorious. That death had won. But we know that on the third day, God raised him from the grave in victory, that he was victorious over death, and he arose with a promise. That if we, in our desperation, would turn and trust Jesus, believing and trusting who he is, believing and trusting what he did on the cross, and believing and trusting that God raised him from the dead, that we would have our sins washed away, that we would be forgiven, that we would be given new life, and what it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So now when in the end of Ecclesiastes, when the teacher's summing it all up, and he's talking about God will come and judge every good deed, this is now good news for the Christian. Because the Christian can now stand confidently in that judgment, knowing that God is not judging their deeds, but he's judging the deeds of Christ. Because their deeds were crucified on the cross with Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness was imputed onto them. And so God looks on them and sees the righteous deeds of Christ. They are forgiven. They are given new life, life in abundance, a promise for eternity. A promise for, for though that they might die, yet he shall live. That the grave is not the end, the grave has not overcome because Christ overcome came the grave. And so they will spend an eternity in the presence of God, enjoying and delighting in him. A life with no death, a peace with no war, laughter with no weeping, dancing with no mourning. That is the hope of the Christian. So, so in light of that, how does the Christian respond? In light of that, how does the Christian go through the seasonality of life, facing even death itself at the end. It tells us in verses 12 and 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. He says, be joyful, do good, and take pleasure in the work of your hands. Because this world's only temporary because I'm just, we're just passing through in this life. I'm going to trust in God and I'm going to trust in his design for how I best operate. I'm going to walk in wisdom and in obedience because I'm going to trust that he knows how this is supposed to go. My time here is short and so I want to live life the best way possible and I'm going to trust his design for things. I remember a few years ago I got these Star Wars fighting drones for Christmas. Yes, I know that I'm a child. No, I don't care that you are judging me for that. But I got these Star Wars fighting drones, and what you would do is you would fly them with a friend, and you would shoot an infrared laser from them, and they would hit each other, and if they got hit, they would shake, and after like three times, they'd hit the ground. It was epic. I was really excited. And with these drones came these instructions for, from the manufacturers, the people who created them, how you're supposed to use them. And they said that they needed to be done inside, not outside. 
But the problem was I lived in an apartment at the time with Sarah and I was like, there's not much room and I don't want to break anything and it probably won't be good just bang it into the wall. So I'm just going to take it outside and play with them. And so I took them outside with a friend in our apartment uh, complex parking lot. Um, but what I didn't realize was because they're so light, just the slightest breeze would send them soaring. And so we started flying them and like gentle breeze comes and it just flies through the air. I'm like, oh no. And so I'm like panicking because it might hit all these cars. So I'm chasing after them. And I also didn't realize that because they're so light and plastic that even like the softest landing on the concrete like breaks the plastic. And so after about 15 minutes of chasing them down, frantically being anxious that they're gonna hit something or someone that they're gonna shatter and break, after breaking them slightly and it just being no fun at all, I finally was done and took them inside. See, I thought I knew better than the manufacturers. I thought I knew better than the creators and I thought I knew what was gonna bring me the most joy and the most satisfaction. But it turns out the creators knew better than I did. It turns out that my way only led to pain and anxiety. See, we so often think that we know how we best operate. We so often think that we know what's gonna bring us the most joy and the most satisfaction or, or that culture kind of knows what's gonna bring us the most joy and, and satisfaction. But it turns out that our creator knows how we best operate. It turns out that his design is what is best and that we would do well to walk in humble obedience to his statutes, to his commands, trusting in him, walking in wisdom, faithfully following his commands. And we know and believe and trust that his commands, they're, they're not restrictive, they're, they're free. That, that they're not drudgery, they're, they're joyous, that they're not life-sucking, they're, they're life-giving for us. It's a delight for us to walk and obey and follow God. And so, so we joyfully walk in obedience. And then he says, we eat and drink and enjoy the work of our hands. And so because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did, we have hope that this life is not all that there is. We can enjoy then the seasonality of life that, that the, the gracious gifts that God gives us in these moments, we get to enjoy these good times. And even when they pass, even when they fade away, we know that there's an ultimate joy that is coming. And so that frees us to enjoy these good gifts. Uh, there's a pastor that puts it this way. He says, confidence in our eternity gives us liberation in the moment. Our, our hope, ultimate hope in Jesus gives us the freedom to in, then enjoy the day to day. Uh, the way that Pastor Stephen says it, I really love it. He says, you can enjoy this world but only when you know how to enjoy it for what it is, but never for what it's not. He said, you can enjoy this world, but only when you know how to enjoy it for what it is, but never for what it's not. In other words, I can enjoy the good things I experience in this life as good gifts, but not as God's. I can enjoy a relationship, like I can enjoy my relationship with Sarah as a gift from God, but not as a God itself. I can't look to my relationship with Sarah to find ultimate joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction and hope. I, I find those things in God and then I enjoy Sarah as a gracious gift from God and it gives me the freedom to, to enjoy that relationship. So the teacher says, yes, go enjoy a warm cup of coffee. 
Go and, and, and enjoy a beautiful sunset. Enjoy fun times with friends. And enjoy a, a good book or a good show. Enjoy good music. Enjoy fun seasons of life. Enjoy them as gracious gifts from your Creator God. And then even if they change, or even if they fade away or are taken away from you, your joy will not be shaken because your joy and your delight is not in the gifts, but rather in the giver of the good gifts, which is God himself. And then even in the difficult times, even when the bad times do come, because they will, even in the disappointing seasons and in the sad seasons, we mourn and we grieve as those with hope. We trust and hope that our God sees clearly in the heaven of life. We trust and hope that he is sovereign over every moment and that he is sovereign over the heaven, and that he is working them for our good and for his glory. We trust in him. And then even when we are faced with death itself, just as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 56, we say, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the, the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is being a sinner standing before a holy and righteous judge. But the Christian stands confidently because the blood of Christ has taken away our sins. And so we echo Paul's words in Philippians 1.21, to die is gain. Death is, is not the end for us. Death means that actually the end of this heaven-filled world. Death means that, that we come face to face with Jesus. Death means an existence of joy and laughing and dancing and peace, all untainted by sin. And so for the Christian, death has lost its sting. For the Christian, to die is actually gain. And so the question for you, if you are a follower of Jesus, is in light of the gospel, do you find your days marked by obedience? Do you find your days marked by, by following him faithfully? Do you find your days marked by, by joy and delight? Do you trust his design? Do you find yourself enjoying the gracious gifts that God has given you? Does your hope and trust in God help you endure through the bad times? As I've mentioned before, um, my granddad a couple years ago passed away. Um, he got a cancer diagnosis and he went out to Texas and did chemo and radiation. And when he was there, they, they actually got rid of the cancer. They kind of cured it. Um, and he came home, but then within just a few weeks, they found more cancer in him. And this time it brought a terminal diagnosis. Um, they didn't give him long to live. And when he was faced with his own mortality, he looked for the eternal. Um, he started asking all kinds of, of hard questions, but the right questions. And he ended up asking me one, one day how he could know that he was right with God. See, when he was faced with his own mortality, he had a sense for eternity. Um, but with that knowledge and the, the sense of, of there being a God out there came the sense of, if there is a God out there, I know I've offended him. I know I've sinned against him. I know that there's something not right between he and I. And that's what death has the tendency to do for us. 
when we get that terminal diagnosis or when we see someone who, who dies young or we lose a loved one, we begin to look for the eternal. But, but here's the thing. We don't always have the, the gracious gift of seeing the time left in our hourglass. We don't always have the gracious gift of seeing that sand pile up on the bottom and the, the sand falling through on the top, wearing thin. Not everyone has the opportunity to know when that time is going to come and, and have the opportunity to face the mator- their mortality before they die. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that you would consider your own mortality. My hope and my prayer is that you would consider your sin and your offense against a holy and perfect God. Is that you would consider that one day you will stand before this holy God as judge and he will judge every thought, every word, and every deed. And my hope and my prayer is that as you see the holiness of God and you see the magnitude and the weight of your sin, that in your desperation that you would turn to Jesus and that you would find your hope in him, that you would believe and trust in in who he is and what he did on the cross on your behalf, and that you'd be covered by his blood, your sins forgiven, so that then you can then stand in confidence before your creator God, knowing that it's not your deeds that are judged, but Christ and his perfectness, or his perfection, his righteousness. And that that hope and that confidence would bleed through to your time here on earth, that you would walk in obedience, that you would enjoy life and enjoy the good gifts that God gives you, and that even in the bad times, you would have a hope that allows you to persevere and endure through. I had the opportunity uh, with my granddad when he was in a hospital room at UAB asking me that question to, to walk through the gospel with him. And then I had the joy of seeing him in the next few months of his life pursue Jesus and delight in Jesus. I had the joy of of watching him find delight in the word of God for probably the first time ever in his life. I had the, the joy of having conversations about the nature of God with my granddad. And there in his last couple of days, I had the opportunity to sit there with him on his bed and, and hear him say, I'm ready. I, I'm ready. And he faced death with sureness because death had lost its sting. And that is my hope and my prayer for you guys, that you would be able to sing with confidence, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? In Christ, you have hope, and I pray that you find that hope.